This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. First of all, I would like to invite you to imagine with me a little bit. Imagine that for a moment that you're in a life-threatening situation. You're one of the tens or perhaps hundreds of people screaming at the 96th floor of the New York office tower. Smoke was everywhere, you're choking. Chaos and people are pushing around, everyone trying to get out. Suddenly, a man came along, a brave man came forward, he put his life at risk. He was there directing everyone, this decade is not that one. And everyone was rushing follow his instructions. As you ran along, you look at this man, you, you never knew his name, but what you recognized was he was a man wearing a tire of a chef. Later on, someone spotted this same man with the chef attire, and now he was at the 88th floor. The leaves are not lo- no longer working. There was this woman in wheelchair, and he was trying his best to help a woman in wheelchair to get down from the 88th floor of the tower. Well, that was the last time anyone saw this man. Because everyone was trying to get out. He's the only man who's trying to get in. 2001, September 11, the World Trade Center collapsed on him. The man's name was Benjamin Clark. He's the father of five young children, an ex-Marine who left behind his widowed wife, a mother whose heart was broken and shattered into a million pieces, and his father, who was also a veteran in the army, died shortly after from heartbreak. Dear friends, welcome back to the third lake of life in Formula series. What did it cost to save the lives of hundreds from a fire of terrorism on that fateful day? It took one man who was willing to give up his life or risk his life for many others. But today I have a question for us, dear friends. What will it take and what does it cost to save millions, if not billions, of people, not just from physical fire, but from the eternal fire of judgment on the day when you and I finally meet God. Now that day when yours and my time runs out, we are always running with time, but we can never overrun and outrun time because death always catches up. And after death catches up, you and I will realize that we still have to give an account of all the things that have passed in our lives, whether it's hidden, whether it's known, whether it's actions, whether it's attitudes. Just, just think for a moment with me of everything about you and me. They'll be dug up on that day. All the known and unknown greeds, lust, anger, envy, pride, spiteful words, guilty actions, or lack of mercy, or lack of justice, our ignorance or ignoring of people, our self-centeredness, you know, a life of rejecting God and wanting to be our own God. Now just think with me for a moment. What sin is? Think of sin this way. Sin against God this way. The sun, the moon, the stars, the wind, the storms, they listen to God at a split second. When God says move, they move. That's how the whole universe works. But as a group of creatures called humans, who will look at God and say, no. We're the only ones, when God says, do this, we say, no. 
think of sin this way, that when we choose to lie or envy or lust or just be selfish, what is actually happening is not a big sin or small sin, but rather when we do something against God, we are basically saying, God, get lost. I know what's good and bad for me. Humans are the only ones who do that. That's what we have learned about. So think for a moment, just with me and you all, in your own secret mind, when everything about you will be dug up, what will it cost to save us on that day of judgment? To be sure, it will take more than a human to save us from God's judgment. It will take God himself to deal with our sins. So we will return the Bible this week to hear what God has done for us. But let me just do a very very quick flashback for those of us who were not here in the past two weeks just to hear what has happened in our history to understand where we have traveled. In the first week, we have traveled uh, on what we call the perfect garden. In it, we were told in the first week that God created humans in his own image. And we are given the world to care for. We have a perfect relationship with God. We know how to have a perfect relationship with each other, you and me. God has given us everything. And we could even live forever if we just lean on God. But last week on week two, we had this team called the junk. Because that's when everything went wrong. When humans choose to disobey God by doing something God says don't. And in that action, it's not just about eating a fruit, but in that action of doing what God says no, we're basically declaring to God that I be my own God and you get lost. It's an insurrection that we have declared and the first humans have declared. And when that happened, we have a broken relationship with God, a perfect relationship with God no longer exists. And now we have billions of little gods in this world and we can never have perfect relationship with each other because you are as God to you as I'm as God to me. We can accommodate each other, but when the rubber hits the road, you are your God and I'm mine. And that's how the world works. So now everyone, including you and me, we we face death. That's part and parcel of being gods. We are not. Because we have no relationship that we had with God in the past. So friends, what will it cost to deal with the weight of sin and the consequence of death? Well, that's what the rest of the Bible is all about. In fact, as we look at the Bible, this Bible really is a love story of God to a people who do not love Him. Open up the Bible. This Bible is really a story about a God who loves us enough to want to deal with our sins when we say we want to be God. So today, I'm going to bring us on a journey to two historical events in the Bible. Two events in the Bible that reveals God's judgment, but you also reveal God's rescue. The first event happens about three and a half thousand years from today. It's about fourteen to about twelve to fourteen hundred BC. That's about the time. Uh, you will know it because Disney has um, had movies and cartoons like that called Prince of Egypt. In the recent years, in the twentieth century, Fox movie The Exodus. That movie that writes on the details of what happened between the Egyptians and the Israelites three and a half thousand years ago. But it would be a mistake just by watching these movies to think of them as mere stories 
or entertainments because that's what they have made it to be. But rather, the real um, moment for us is actually to recognize that event is a real moment in history where God displays power of judgment and God displays a mercy of rescue for the world. And what happens to that led to the nation of Israel that you understand today. And that is the historical event that prepares for you and me to get to be saved by God. Now remember Benjamin Clark, the hero we started with at the terrorist attack. Every year, his mother Elsie Clark, this is what she would do at midnight. She would come off her house, she would put this banner over the front of her courtyard, of her yard, or her fence. Every year she would do that at midnight to remember her 39-year-old son who died that day. But now in a much greater way, every year, in fact for hundreds and thousands of years, the Israelites and even today the Jews, they will eat a meal called Passover to remember what happened that historical moment 3,500 years ago. And it was to remember that God rescued them from their enemies and God's judgment passing over them. So now as you came in, you, some of you have tasted unleavened bread. I hope some of you had tried. The lamb, the bitter herbs, they were just some food that are eaten to celebrate Passover. So what is Passover? Well, instead of me telling you a detailed story of chapters of the chapters of the story, I, I want to bring you into the story. I want to bring you in to imagine what it feels like to be an Israelite to celebrate the first Passover in Israel as a slave. So what I need is your help. I need your help to uh, bring, uh, I need to borrow your imaginations with you. If you have not brought them, how you can pick it up and uh, I want to borrow your imagination for this to work. So now look at, look at me. Imagine for a moment we are siblings. Okay, we, we look quite similar. We're, we're siblings. You are the older sibling, right? And I'm your younger sibling. So you are the eldest child. I'm a younger child. And we are Israelites living in Egypt for about 400 years. About half of the time, we have been slaves. Grandpa was a slave laborer. Dad was a slave worker. And brother, you and me, the moment we are old enough to carry the bricks, we are slaves as well. We've been crying out to God because we've been crying out. Dad has been crying. Grandpa has been crying out to God because it feels terrible and it's terrible to live like a subhumans. Just like the eye robots or the washing machines in your house for the Egyptians. Then one day, a man by the name Moses came in. He came in, he told all of us that God had heard our cry and we will be set free. That excites us, but it excites dad and grandpa even more. But that didn't seem to work out in the beginning because at first, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he became very angry and he made dad and grandpa carry double the load. Their backs are already breaking, but now they have to carry double the loads. And you can see the tears of mom. Look at mom's, imagine, look at mom's tears because dad has become a broken man. Dad was only 39 years old, he looks like 69. And brother, when he is gone, you are next. But things begin to change. This Moses was a powerful man. He, he has some power. And he started to do things that people had never seen before. Now the Egyptians, whenever they see Moses walking past, they start to shiver. 
And by now, he has done nine majestic miracles of plagues that has covered the grounds of the Egyptians. He had turned water into wine, uh, into blood. Sorry, he has turned water into blood. You know, the fishes died. And then frogs appear over the land, then biting insects and wild animals. None of the Egyptians were spared from all of this. Then came diseases on livestock and boys and men, the fiery hill, they came, the locusts came, they cleared up the fields of the Egyptians. Then darkness over the land. We had sun in our small plots. The Egyptians had darkness. But the Pharaoh was so hardened in heart that he would pit himself against God. And brother, you and I, as we look at this Pharaoh, we wonder, will we really live Egypt? Will we really be set free? But now as we are talking, are we still talking? Yes, we are. Things are getting serious. Things are serious because Moses has just made a summon for all the elders. All the dads, including our dad, has left the house to hear the briefing. They said there's going to be just one more plague. Just one more. Everything's going to be settled. You and I, we're going to get out of Egypt. Then grandpa are going to be set free. Now, as we are talking, suddenly the door was open. This door came open. Dad comes in. He's this bearded man. And he has this expression that you and I have never seen. Dad comes in. He has this weird expression. He's, he's neither crying or smiling or laughing or serious or painful. He just came in and, and, and mom jumps up. Grandpa in his bed jumps up. You and I, we're just staring at the door waiting for dad to speak. And then dad says, quick, get ready. Get ready for what, mom says. He says, get ready, everything, we're living, we're living. So you step on dad's feet and say, dad, stop jumping and leaping around. Tell us what happened. Dad, look at you, look at me and say, kids, put on your sandals. Put on your clothes. Get your belts on. We're living for real. You know, dad was raising his voice, he's smiling from his sun-scorched face. And then he said, we are living this place for good. At this moment, at this moment, Dad looked at me, but then he actually looks at you more. He looks at you, the firstborn, with this complex face. And then he said this to you. He didn't say this to me, he said this to you. He said, child, tonight, God is sending the angel of death. The angel will be bringing God's judgment tonight. No household who is guilty of sinning against God will be able to get away. The angel of death will come in and all who are guilty will not go unpunished. The angel's name is death and the firstborn of each family will die. I'm glad he's not looking at me because he's looking at you. You're the firstborn. Humans and animals alike, in this house it will mean you, my son, unless all of us have been perfect or unless there's a way for the angel to pass over us. And Moses told us there is a way. And as dad says, he drew his knife out, he looked at you and he says, Bobby will have to die. Well, who's Bobby? Bobby's there next to Ming Fei. Bobby is that one-year-old lamb that we loved, that most beautiful lamb we've ever seen. His blood, dad says, will be poured out and you'll be painted on our doorposts. So that when the angel of death passes our house and all the Israelites, they see the blood there 
and they know death has really happened. Now, as you look at Bobby, Bobby looks at you. You know that, seriously, he's more innocent than you, than me. But as you look at him, you know that it had to be done. And you will not be willing to sleep unless death has finished it. Because that will be your last time you close your eyes if it's not if his blood is not on the wall, on the door. And that did we took his body, we boiled it, we ate it, and it happened. Dear friends, I'm just dramatizing what might have happened on that first Passover in Egypt. This is exactly what Moses said. I'll read to you what uh, Jeanette has read for us just now from Exodus 12. This is what Moses says, Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and set, select the animals for your families and the slaughter, and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. That night, the angel of death passed through Israel, uh, passed through Egypt. All the firstborn of the households, the enemies of God, they were killed. No one was guiltless in their lives. However, when the angel passes the houses of the Israelites, he saw the blood on the doorpost. He passed on. He passed on because he saw that death has already occurred. The price of sin has already been paid. And so all the houses with blood on it, the angel of death passed over. And that's why that day when we celebrate the meal, the meal is called Passover. When death passed over, those who have been guilty. God's judgment passed over those houses were marked with blood. And whose blood was it on? It was the lamb. It was the lamb. Now, dear friends, as you tasted the unleavened bread just now, if you have, and the lamb when you first arrived, and as you imagined with me for that few minutes living in Egypt as a slave, that was a bit of experience of what happened at the, first, at the first Passover, the blood of the male lamb given in exchange for the lives of the people. Now you may say, Andrew, that was great, but what has that got to do with you and me? Well, dear friends, here's the thing. God's greater and final judgment has not yet come. It was just a taste 3,500 years ago. His final judgment will come. On that day, you'll not just be the firstborn of each household. On that day, you'll be everyone who is guilty who will have to deal with the judgment and death. On that day, everyone who has in his life or her life rejected and rebelled against God, who has said, God, get lost. You be your God, I be my God. That's what we do when we sin, when we make our choices. On that day, we'll either face eternal death and suffering head on, or else we better have something that covers our sin. And that day will come. 
that day will come. But the amazing thing is that God has given repeated promise in the Bible hundreds and thousands of years that He will come and save us. And in fact, God has already done it. He sent His only begotten Son to do the work of rescuing us. And here, friends, is where I'm going to bring you to the second part of history, a second place where God's judgment and God's rescue comes in together in a much greater way. 2,000 years ago, God sent His own Son, born as a man, to come and crush the head of evil. God sent His own Son, born as a man, to be a blessing so that the nations can be blessed through Him. God sent His own Son, born as a man, to rescue us. And that man, you probably know his name. Christmas is coming. His name is Jesus, the Christ. Now remember, Passover used to be celebrated for thousands of years. But only when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he actually revealed what that Passover actually meant. Because it has a much greater value and meaning than what we have experienced. And so now I want to invite you again. I want to invite you to enter the house where Jesus celebrates that Passover 2,000 years ago. So bring in your imagination a little bit. And I would like to invite you into the house where Jesus will celebrate that Passover. In fact, let me read from Luke chapter 22, verse 7. It's in your bulletin. Let me read that for you. Then came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparation for us to eat the Passover. And as the Passover approached, Jerusalem is in a huge row because everyone is preparing for that. Blood will be shed across the streets of Jerusalem. As Jesus approached that, he sent his disciples. And verse 8 to 13 tells us Jesus gave the instructions to his disciples. They were both excited and surprised because Jesus gave instructions and Jesus knew exactly who the disciples would meet on the road. He'll meet a man with a jug and of water. Jesus knew that they could use this man's upper room. It's fully furnished for the event. So his followers quickly make the preparation. They were excited because Jesus seems to knew everything, but Jesus knew more than that. Jesus knew, as they were preparing, that he's going to die in a few hours. He's going to die in a couple of hours. His blood will be poured out and painted at the entrance of the kingdom of God. So that all who comes under him, death will pass over them. Because that was God's plan all along, to save you and to save me. So come with me as we enter the house. And Jesus was there to, to have the Passover with his disciples. Look at verse 14 and 15 as I read to you what happened in that upper room. Verse 14, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Friends, just, let's just have a hypothetical situation. Just think for a moment, if you actually know that you're going to be murdered in a few hours' time, what will you do? You're sitting here, but you know that you're going to be murdered in a few hours' time. What will you do? Will you sit here and shiver? Will you find ways to escape? Will you take out your bank account and hire the strongest bodyguard like Jeremy there, 10 of them, to protect you? What will you do? 
Here's what happened at the Passover. Jesus, as he reclined at the table, he knew he's going to be murdered in a few hours' time. But instead of shivering, you know what he said? He said, I've been waiting for this time to share the Passover with you, my friends. To eat this Passover with you whom I love. Look at what Jesus says. Look at verse 15 again with me. And Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus' whole life was to be prepared for this very moment, to suffer and to die. God had prepared this moment for Jesus since the beginning in the first talk. Remember, God said, in, in, in the second talk, God said to the serpent that the, the seed, the offspring of the woman will come and crush your head. He will strike his heel. Now God has declared on that day that a man will come to crush evil at the cost of his life. And if you look at verse 21 or just surrounding passages of Luke 22, we see this, that Jesus clearly knew that Judas, his disciple, whom he had shown great kindness to, is going to sell him out for the price of a cow. Jesus knew the religious leaders that God has put there, they want Jesus to be killed because they want to be gods themselves. The people who will kill Jesus on the cross in a few hours' time, they all knew that Jesus is just an innocent person. But nevertheless, they want to spill his blood. Jesus knew all of this. But yet, Jesus says, verse 15, I have eagerly desired, desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. It's unavoidable Jesus will die because God said so. Because people are ready to kill him. But most importantly, Jesus wanted to die so that they may live. You know, Jesus never saw his death as an accident or a tragedy. And, and it's a pity if anyone reads the Bible and says, ah, such a poor man that he dies. It's totally wrong. Because Jesus knew and Jesus said, I came here to suffer for you. Like the innocent lamb that will be killed to save the Israelite household, Jesus came as the innocent lamb to be killed and his blood splashed so that you and I would avoid death. Listen to verse 17 to 18. Look at verse 17 and 18. After taking the cup, Jesus gave thanks and said, Take this, divide it among you, for I tell you I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. No, that Passover, as Jesus took that cup, that reminds them of God's salvation of his people from slavery in Egypt. Jesus gave thanks. He declared that he would not drink it again until all of them would join him under the banner of the blood of the Lamb, the kingdom of God, into the perfect kingdom and perfect garden of Eden once again. And look at verse 19. And Jesus, he took bread, He took the bread and he gave thanks and broke it. And then he gave it to them. He gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, as Jesus broke that unliving bread that night and shared it, he said something that was shocking. He said that this body 
represents, this bread represents his body. You know, if you're a Jewish family, having this Passover that is passed on for generation and generation and generation, all of you will know whose body you eat. You eat the body of the lamb. But as Jesus comes here, he didn't distribute pork chop or he didn't distribute lamb chop. He broke the bread and says, this is my body and you eat it. Symbolically, when they eat the bread, they're actually saying that, and I will eat the body of my Lord. By his body that we eat, death passes over. And again, look at verse 20. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You know, in the Jewish traditions, the cup that's taken after the supper, there are, there are four cups, but the cup that's taken after the supper is the third cup. It's the cup that is called the cup of redemption. When they take this cup, they remember God redeemed them. This is what God has done. In fact, in Exodus 6, verse 6, this is what God says. Let me read this to you. God says to the people, He says, I will redeem you with outstretched arm and with a mighty axe of judgment. But Jesus, as He took that cup, and He gave it, I said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus is saying what God has said in Exodus, but this time He says, that I will, with my outstretched arm, redeem you, and the mighty judgment of God falls on me. Dear friends, that is the blood of Jesus that he pulls out. No, friends, as Jesus was hung on that cross a few hours later, you know what he said on the cross? As he was being mocked and scorned and being beaten and he spit on, by the very human who should worship him, Jesus was there and the words he says when his mouth opens, he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. My gosh, my friends, when Jesus died on the cross, he was not for himself. He was not a poor and sad man who was being roped up in the cross. He was the son of God himself prepared by God for centuries and centuries and centuries so that when the people look at him and him on the cross and his blood shed out, they all know what it's all about. That Passover was different. What Christians call the Last Supper and later what Christians call the Good Friday is what we now understood about the Passover that happened millenniums ago. That was what happened. And that was what happened for us. Dear friends, how does God offer to save you and save me in this world? By the only way possible. By Him taking up the punishment for us. You know, John 3.16, that famous passage, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, so that whoever belongs to Him and believes in Him will not perish by eternal life. And 1 John 3.16, he says this, that this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Remember Benjamin Clark? When the article was written about him, 
and his act of saving the people, the author wrote this about Benjamin. He said this in his article about him. He says, although he saves many lives, he couldn't save his own. You know where is that taken from? It's from the Bible. Because Jesus is the one, as he was hung on the cross, he came to save our lives, and because he came to save our lives, he can't save his own, because he had to take our place. Now, Christian author and preacher John Stott, he said this, he said this about himself. He said, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. And then he said, this is God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death, and he suffered for us. No, dear friends, don't get it wrong. Christianity is not a religion that tells you to do good work so that you can get to heaven. Christianity is about a relationship with God that is given at the expense of his own blood. That is what Christianity is about. The greatest love is revealed to us when God comes and offers to take our punishment for us. You know, if you have done something wrong to me, I'll be really angry if, let's say, Daniel says, ah, it's okay, you're forgiven. I say, it's not okay because I'm the offended one. When we sin against God, no one else will be able to say it's okay except the offended one. And for God to say okay, he can't say with his eyes closed. He says it's okay if someone who is offended and who is capable to take your blame takes it. He looks around. He knows he's the only one. And so God came down to die so that you and I can be forgiven and call him Abba Father. No, dear friends, that is God's way to save us. It's costly, but it's the only way. And that's what Christianity is about. Now, next week we'll hear more about the final day and beyond. But today I want to leave us with a very somber question. The question is this. Dear friends, for your own sake and for my sake, think about this question. Will you, will I, get a Passover on the final day of judgment? when everything is being put out in open. Let me ask that again. Will you, my dear friends, and will I, get a pass over when death, eternal death, comes to claim its reward? All who deserves to die, he comes to claim as his. On that day, will we get a pass over because someone greater than death sucks it up and digs it up for you and for me? We could end today, we can end our lives saying, yeah, let me think about it. We could end our day or end our life saying, it's alright God, I'll give my best shot and I should be able to do it. Or will we say to God, God, I can't do it. Now that you've done it for me, can I have it? Would Jesus be my Lord and Savior to take what I can't take myself and receive what I don't deserve to be back to you and call you God as my Father and Jesus is my Lord and my brother. That's what the Bible offers, and that's what God offers to us. So as I close this time, I would like to invite us to just think of that question, and um, if you're willing to also pray with me 
to God. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. I want to give us a few moments to reflect, perhaps to pray to God if you are willing to. If you want to ask God for forgiveness for having turned away from Him, if you want to ask Jesus to come to your life and accept Him as your Lord and Rescuer, this is a great time to do so. I'll just give us a few moments for our own reflections and then I'll pray for us. Let me pray for us and do join me if it's appropriate for you. Dear God, we thank you for the Passover that happened in Egypt three and five, three thousand five hundred years ago. It showed us your judgment, it showed us your rescue. But even more so, Father, we thank you two thousand years ago when your own son came and you show us rescue by putting judgment on him. Father, thank you that you love us so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins so that by his death we can be forgiven if we come to him. Father, we know Jesus did not simply die, but he rose again from the dead. And that is a guarantee that we too will rise to new life after death and judgment passes over. And we will once again enter the perfect kingdom, the perfect garden, to enjoy a perfect relationship with you and the ability to have perfect relationship with each other. In the meantime, Father, we pray for those of us who want to accept Christ, Jesus as their Lord, that God, you will hear our prayer. For those of us who have accepted and we want to renew and remind ourselves again how much we depend on Jesus, that God, your Holy Spirit, will remind us. So and now, to Christ return, or we return to you, that we have assurance that we stand under the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, we pray, through Jesus' most precious blood. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bctc.sg.